Welcome everyone to Health or Consequences. This is a monthly podcast on Massachusetts health policy sponsored by Mass Inc. and Commonwealth Magazine. I'm your co-host, John McDonough from the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. And I'm joined by my regular co-host, the indefatigable Paul Haddis from the Lown Institute. And we have two little bit different guests this week who are important players in parts of Massachusetts outside greater Boston and are really making a difference. And so we thought it'd be a great opportunity to introduce them and to hear what's going on. So Marty Cohen is the president and CEO of the Metro West Health Foundation. He's the first and the only executive director and is making an enormous difference out in the uh, Metro West Framingham area, the greater Framingham area. And Dr. Amy Shea is the president and CEO of the Health Foundation of Central Massachusetts, which represents the greater Worcester area, Central Massachusetts. She has been at the foundation since 2016 and has been the president and CEO since 2022. So these are the two in Massachusetts so-called conversion foundations, and they will explain what we mean by that. There are many of these all over the country. These are the two in Massachusetts, and they play a very special role, an important role that I think is under-recognized and underappreciated across the state. So that's why we're happy to welcome them here. And let me turn it over to my colleague, Paul. Thanks, John, and, and welcome Marty and Amy. And I know as Amy and, and Marty have recently written in Commonwealth, we're about to get a third, the Atheist Health Equity Foundation. But I wanna not only add, you, add my words of welcome, but really for our, our podcast audience, tell us a little bit about the history and how your conversion foundations were created uh, why was each for why was each one formed and really you know what's your role to advance uh, healthcare and public health aims in Massachusetts? Amy, why don't you get us going with that if you would? Great, thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. So pleased to be here with you today and to share the podcast stage with Marty. Uh, so the Health Foundation of Central Massachusetts was formally established in January of 1999. It was created from the sale of the Central Mass Healthcare physician-owned non-for-profit HMO. In Massachusetts, when a non-for-profit healthcare organization is sold to a for-profit institution, those assets must be set aside to benefit the community. And so that's how this foundation was created. Our mission is to use our resources to improve the health of those who live or work in the central Massachusetts region with a particular emphasis on vulnerable populations and unmet needs. So our region consists of 81 communities, Worcester County and some of the surrounding towns defined based on the service area of our predecessor organization. And we're not directly involved in healthcare provision but we like to see our role as complementing the healthcare system and also public health system through our flexible and community-driven investments in health. And Marty, uh, why don't you get us going? But we also should acknowledge the fact that you sit as vice chairman of the state's Massachusetts Health Policy Commission as well. And uh, so to the extent that that lends into uh, your thoughts about uh, your organization, Conversion Foundations, is relevant when you share with our audience today, please do so. But tell us a little bit about the origins of, of Metro West. Thanks, Paul, and thanks, uh, John, for uh, having me and, and Amy as well. And 
Amy did a great job talking about what conversion foundations are. So let me just add a little bit about the history of the Metro West Health Foundation. Our, our history actually goes back to 1992. Two community hospitals in the region, Leonard Morse Hospital in Natick, Framingham Union in Framingham, both nonprofits, they merged to become Metro West Medical Center. Interestingly, it was sort of just after the merger of um, Brigham and Mass General uh, into partners. So I think they saw that, um, that work and, and wanted to, to do it out here uh, to achieve some economies of uh, scale in their operations. Um, and so they became Metro West Medical Center in 1999, uh, 1996, uh, the trustees found uh, that they were um, in, uh, in need of financial capital. And so they uh, put the hospital up for sale. There was some interest by uh, nonprofit hospital players, uh, but they chose to sell it to a for-profit investor-owned uh, hospital management company at the time, Columbia HCA. Uh, following the sale, there was an extensive community process to determine what should happen from the funds derived from the sale. And ultimately the decision was made to create a charitable foundation that would serve the community health needs of 25 Metro West communities that were historically considered to be part of the uh, service area of those two hospitals. I guess I would define our role uh, as an organization that supports an array of important safety net services across our region, but we're also a source of venture capital that can be used to create real systems change uh, in the communities we serve. So um, fascinating history, um, fascinating organizations, um, and uh, both cases, a local hospital, a local health plan converting from nonprofit to for-profit and then a financial settlement negotiated by the Massachusetts Attorney General. It's, uh, it's about 25 years later. And so there's been a lot of time to assess. And it may be tricky to ask you both to comment on this, but do you think your respective communities are better served by having created this foundation and letting the institutions uh, convert to wherever they went to, um, or uh, would in fact, in hindsight, it be better if those original healthcare assets had stayed nonprofit and continued to serve their communities? I wonder. We wonder if you have any uh, views or thoughts or opinions about that. And Marty, why don't you go first? Sure. Thanks, John. You've asked a really important question and one that certainly has come up in the sale of other hospitals and also in the recent sale of Atrius Health, uh, the physician organization. I don't think the question is really one of tax status. I don't think anyone uh, in the middle of the night thinks about, uh, am I going to go to a for-profit or a not-for-profit hospital? The question is really one of commitment to things other than the bottom line. Um, you know, I, if I look at the situation here in Metro West, with the hospital continues to operate, uh, providing uh, good quality care, um, and uh, the foundation has been over our 23 years been able to invest about 75 million in important health projects in the region. Uh, but I think there has been something that's been lost. Um, as uh, uh, over the years, and that's the concept of hospital as part of the larger community. 
taking a leadership role as an institution is sort of what goes on beyond the four walls of the hospital. And quite frankly, I think that's the role that the foundation has picked up and run with, at least in our area. But we're always looking for the hospital to be part of the larger solution for health and wellness in the region. And I think that's the element that, that I've seen uh, change over time uh, in the region. And, and Amy, how does it appear to you in uh, Worcester, Greater Worcester? So I'll, I'll share a little bit of the history of the CMHC HMO just to provide some of the context. Uh, so CMHC was created in 1997 as a physician-owned nonprofit HMO, and one of its primary purposes was to assure the provision and availability of quality healthcare in an effective, efficient, and economical manner. And it was successful for many years, but by the mid-1990s, the Board of Trustees believed that to continue to remain a viable entity in central Massachusetts, it needed a larger partner with additional funds and greater scope. So after considerable study, um, a sale was planned in late 1995 to Health Source of New Hampshire, which was a for-profit organization. And as we mentioned earlier, Massachusetts law requires that the proceeds of such a sale be used in a manner similar to the purposes of the original organization. So I, I see the conversion as an inevitable result of consolidation and other changes in the healthcare marketplace that rendered it difficult for smaller nonprofit healthcare entities to remain independent and viable. At the same time, these conversions have enabled the creation of our two health conversion foundations, which have yielded enormous benefits for our region and state because of our singular focus on health. Okay, thanks. And so let me let me ask both of you if you could identify what are the one or two things um, that your organization takes greatest pride in having accomplished over the past quarter of a century. What 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 should people when people think of the Metro West Foundation, Marty? What should uh, you know? What should come to their mind first? And I'll, I'll start with Amy. The same question. So since 1999, uh, the Health Foundation of Central Massachusetts has provided a total of over $52 million in grants to 220 unique organizations serving Central Massachusetts. We're a little bit smaller than the Metro West Health Foundation, and so our, our uh, total giving is, is also a little bit uh, under that of Marty's organization. Uh, but since since our founding, the foundation has sought to focus on a limited number of issues and to influence systems change rather than trying to make a large number of small grants. And so I'll highlight two examples from some of our early grants, which really demonstrate how our projects have had a sustained impact over time and, and they're projects that we remain very proud of. The first is the Together for Kids project, one of our earliest projects. At the time, there was a high rate of preschool expulsions in Worcester. It may come as a surprise to many that children who are only three or four years old can be expelled from preschools because of challenging behaviors. And unfortunately, it sets them on a negative trajectory and disadvantages them from the start. So this project developed a model of behavioral health consultations in the preschool setting 
and found that with an average of 24 hours of behavioral health consultation for teachers and parents, these challenging behaviors um, and developmental skills significantly improved compared to those in a matched comparison group. And the preschool expulsions were reduced to near zero in the intervention preschools. So advocacy efforts resulted in the state providing funding for this model to be replicated across the state, and it continues to this day. Another example that I'll just highlight briefly um, is the foundation's early investments in oral health long before many recognized the connection between oral health and physical health. I know you're familiar with this work, John, because you were involved in some of the advocacy efforts stemming from these projects. And the early grants helped introduce and sustain dental services in the North Central area and establish a fully accredited dental hygiene program and clinical training site that continues to this day. In addition, thanks to public policy changes won through advocacy, the number of dentists accepting Medicaid patients increased dramatically in increasing access to dental care for some of the most vulnerable patients in our state. Super, thank you. And, and, and Marty, what have your home runs been? Uh, so that question is uh, like asking who your favorite child is. Um, <laughs> I think there are a couple of things that we have done over the years that stand out for me. Uh, when I came to the foundation, there was no community health center serving uh, the region. One had to go to either Alston or Worcester. We helped organize an application to HRSA to create a satellite of the then Great Brook Valley Health Center, now Edward M. Kennedy, that is uh, based here in Framingham, a beautiful facility. And uh, about 10 years later, we also joined forces with Amy and her foundation uh, to create a second health center uh, in Milford. So I think of the expansion of obviously uh, and access to primary care has been essential. Another program I'm equally proud of is our work as a lead funder back in 2003 working with the Framingham Police Department and Advocates Community Counseling to create a co-responder model to divert those with mental health and substance use issues away from jail and into treatment. The program actually embeds a clinical social worker in the police department who responds to calls for assistance along with officers. Uh, we and the Healthcare Foundation of Central Mass funded the replication of that program in Marlboro several years later. And now it's been replicated in 37 communities across the state. And if you think about it, this was, this was started in 2003, and this is the exact model that people are crying for now to have uh, mental health personnel respond to those instances where uh, you know, uh, folks have uh, emotional distress and, and um, you know, police uh, may not be the right uh, organization to respond. So um, uh, that's been a, a wonderful accomplishment for not only for the region, but I think for the state as well. Great, great stuff. Congratulations to both of you. Paul? One thing that um, seems potentially of, of interest, you know, given all the good work that both of you just identified, is that uh, in your origins, from a legal perspective, you perspective, Marty, yours, I think, is structured as a 501c3 charitable organization. And Amy, your foundation is a 501c4 action organization. Um, Marty, let's start with you. What went into the decision making around that? And does that make any difference in terms of the scope of activities or the way we should think about uh, what our these foundations should or could be doing? 
Thanks, Paul. So we're actually a, a C3 charitable organization, as you stated, but we're also designated as uh, under the IRS code as a 509 private foundation. Um, so that uh, puts a couple of constraints on us. We, uh, in, in terms of, um, we have to uh, achieve a 5% payout every year. Um, and we are also prohibited by the IRS from lobbying uh, on specific uh, legislation or ballot initiatives. Um, but that really doesn't stop us from being able to advocate for public health policies or actions that we think may benefit our communities or residents. Um, we fund something called the Metro West Adolescent Health Survey. It's a modification of the CDC Youth Risk Behavior Survey. Uh, we uh, offer the survey every other year to all of the public uh, schools in our, our area. So it actually becomes a, a survey of 42,000 middle, middle and high school students across our region, asking them questions about their mental health, substance use, school attachment, bullying, social media use. And from an advocacy point of view, when the Needham Board of Health became the first jurisdiction in the country to raise the age of tobacco purchase to uh, age 21, we were able to look at that data pre and post that policy change to actually see the impact that the change had on tobacco use among high school students in Needham. When Mayor Bloomberg was asked to consider a similar change in New York City, he told his director of health and hospitals to bring him evidence that it would actually change rates of use. Uh, that Needham data was actually used to convince the mayor uh, to uh, enact a similar uh, change in New York City. And what we saw was that uh, cascading across the country, other jurisdictions, municipalities and states ended up raising their uh, age of purchase to 21, which is now uh, actual federal law. So a, a good example of how not uh, lobbying directly, but advocating, we can we can affect policy change. Lead to policy change. And Amy, how about how about your organization and its being a C4 and what that has maybe freed you up to do and some aims associated with that? Yes. So our predecessor organization, the CMHC HMO, was created as a C4. So the foundation was able to retain that status when it was created from the conversion. And a few provisions were negotiated in that process that provide us with some additional flexibility. So Marty mentioned needing to tar needing to hit a 5% payout. We negotiated targeting a 5% payout. Uh, so that provides us with some flexibility. And also uh, we have retained the ability to lobby, which most private foundations are prohibited from doing. At the same time, we have created a C3 affiliate, so we are able to receive charitable donations in case any of your listeners are in interested in contributing to our work. Uh, but an example of how we leverage our C4 status can be seen in our current advocacy and lobbying related to our private well program to protect public health, which is one of our current projects. The foundation has awarded about a million and a half dollars in grant funding to RCAP solutions aimed at addressing drinking water inequities across the state. 
Unbeknownst to many in the state, private wells, which are prevalent in rural communities, especially in central and western Massachusetts, are not subject to any statewide regulations ensuring that the drinking water is safe to consume. In contrast, residents who live in more urban areas and have access to public water systems that are regulated by the state and routinely monitored and treated for contaminants have a, have a great deal of confidence that their drinking water is safe to consume. So we've been working with Senator Eldridge, Representative Cena, and Representative Pignatelli to file a bill this session that would enable the Department of Environmental Protection to develop minimum statewide protections and provide financial assistance to low-income homeowners who need to remediate private wells. So we're able to be directly engaged in advocacy and, and lobbying efforts related to that legislation. Thanks for sharing that. Now, in both um, Central Mass and in Metro West, you have evolving and growing immigrant communities. Um, how has that fact affected your thinking and even some of the things that you fund tied to foundations work? Amy, why don't you get us started on that one? Sure. Uh, so Worcester is the second largest city in uh, central, is the largest city in central Massachusetts, and it is also the second largest city in New England. It has long been a destination for immigrants uh, from a variety of backgrounds, and uh, UMass Donahue Institute report uh, noted that Worcester has the most foreign-born residents than any other gateway city in Massachusetts. And this diversity brings many opportunities and contributions, but also challenges too. The challenges include making sure that these residents have access to essential services, including healthcare and education, and our community-based organizations are working hard on this and doing a great job. At the same time, these immigrants are making enormous contributions to the cultural and economic fabric of the city, and the Health Foundation has tried to support some of these related opportunities. For example, the foundation has provided over $3 million in funding to the Worcester Regional Food Hub for different programs, including supporting diverse food entrepreneurs uh, through training and access to an affordable commercial kitchen. The program has helped dozens of immigrant food entrepreneurs launch food businesses, showcasing wonderful cuisine from their native countries. The Food Hub is now a physically, physically sponsored project of the Worcester Regional Chamber of Commerce, and it has big plans to move into Union Station in downtown Worcester in the next year or so to further expand opportunities for diverse entrepreneurs here in Worcester. And Marty, how about you in, in Central, excuse me, in uh, Metro West area? Sure. Across our communities, we see many new immigrants, particularly from Central and uh, South America, Ecuador, El Salvador. As you know, Framingham is one of the largest populations of Brazilians living in the United States. Um, so the presence impacts our work in many ways. Uh, uh, unfortunately, many are not eligible for subsidized health insurance through public programs or have trouble accessing care. So obviously, our support to community health center services uh, is important. Uh, we've also supported free medical programs uh, staffed by volunteers that can provide some of those services as well as other safety net services. Uh, we also have done work to lift the voices of, of folks through community outreach uh, and engagement. Uh, more recently during COVID, we funded Healthcare for All to mobilize street outreach teams to literally knock on doors in Framingham and Milford. 
uh, to reach those whose first language may not be English to encourage testing, vaccinations, and more recently, boosters. If I could uh, throw a curveball and ask um, as a follow-up to that, a number of states, including California, New Mexico, and others, are actually now paying for state-sponsored health insurance for undocumented immigrants in their states. And it seems to be a growing trend. And there's legislation that's been filed by a new health equity coalition in Massachusetts that would do it. Um, if you don't know, feel welcome to say that, but do you think that's a good idea for Massachusetts to do? I, I would certainly see it as a benefit to residents in our area. Um, and it would improve access to care, and it would also help reduce the reliance on emergency room for medical care. Amy, how about you? Any thoughts about that? Yes, I, I would agree with Marty. Okay, thank you both. Just getting that out there. So last question, uh, brand new governor, I'm sure you've heard. Um, if you were meeting this afternoon with Governor Healy, and she wanted to hear from you about what would be most important for her to do to improve public health, affordability, healthcare, access, coverage, quality. What would you say to her? What would be number one on your mind to ask her? And I'll, I'll, I'll put it out to Marty first. Sure. So two issues are top of mind for me. Uh, first is our healthcare workforce. Uh, this is an issue in all types of settings, hospitals, health centers, mental health programs, home care agencies. We need, uh, the, the needs exist at all levels, physician to direct care staff and group homes. Uh, for me, uh, this issue is more than just money. Uh, there's money already flowing uh, from the work that the legislature uh, done in the last session. Uh, but we need what well, I think what we need is better coordination across government, bringing in higher education, secondary education, the state's workforce programs, health and human service agencies to ensure that we're quickly creating the right kinds of pipelines to meet the demands that are in front of us. Um, this is, this is a huge issue that really uh, needs more attention. Uh, the second item for me, and Paul asked earlier if I would put my uh, health policy hat on, and I guess I'll put it on here. Uh, chapter 224 was a, uh, a great start in addressing the high cost of healthcare in Massachusetts. Uh, we now have 10 years of experience. There is uh, more that needs to be done and I think we're all looking to the governor and the legislature to address some areas that have been raised uh, above benchmark cost growth, high pharmacy costs, and, and high insurance premium growth. Um, you know, if you think about the foundation, we're a small employer. Uh, you know, we have a, a total staff of five. The cost of a family health insurance plan for us is $41,000 a year. It is now our highest expense after payroll. So um, I think, uh, and you know, John, you've taught me years ago that there are waves of reform. I think we're ready for the next wave. Okay, thank you, Marty. And Amy, you got the last word. Thank you. So I, I agree wholeheartedly with the important issues that Marty raised. And in addition, I would ask Governor Healy to address regional inequities. Many of the smaller towns within our region have limited public health infrastructure, relying on volunteers serving on boards of health. 
and uh, on the part-time staff person that's often shared between communities. In contrast, larger, more urban communities have health departments and full-time trained staff. I know some of your previous podcast guests have addressed this issue. Um, and many residents in the rural parts of central Massachusetts struggle to find affordable, accessible health care. For example, some residents are over an hour away from the nearest federally qualified community health center or one of the new community behavioral health centers. And there's very limited or no public, there's very, very limited to no public transportation in these regions, uh, many of which fall outside of the main service areas of the regional transit authorities. So I hope Governor Healy and her administration recognize the vast untapped potential in the rural areas outside the spotlight of the major cities when it comes to solving some of the, the most pressing challenges facing the state in terms of housing and workforce. Rural communities should be part of the multifaceted strategy, but in order to tap into these potential solutions, the state needs to invest in people and places that have long been overlooked and invest in public transportation, regional schools, drinking water infrastructure, broadband, and more. There are many willing partners in central Massachusetts who are willing to lend their support, including the Health Foundation of Central Massachusetts. Amy Shea, Marty Cohn, thanks for all the good work you do in leading your respective foundations, and thanks for sharing a bit about that uh, and your efforts with our audience today. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.